You are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. Hey everybody, David Guzik here. Glad you could join me. I'm here live from Europe. Usually I'm sending you from my home in Santa Barbara, but here I'm at uh, a conference center in Austria getting ready for a pastor's conference that's going to begin this next week. I love this time over here. I've been meeting together with these pastors and leaders from uh, churches in Western Europe for more than 15 years now. And it's been wonderful every year. So very much looking forward to it. And I'm glad that on this Thursday, I could even do a uh, live stream here, little chat question and answer time. Uh, so if you do have a question, put it in the chat window. I'm going to talk about a few things just to begin with and answer at least one question that came in uh, from comments on the YouTube channel. Uh, just to let you know, it's been a busy couple of weeks uh, leading up to this trip over here. Uh, one of the great things, and thanks, A Witness for Jesus, uh, what they're mentioning there is that I completed uh, audio commentary on the New Testament. I think it would be great if I had a audio and video throughout the whole Bible, but just for whatever reason, uh, a lot of it's because I've been moving around a few different places, and a lot of the teaching I've done, I've done in a Bible college setting, which isn't always the best for recording, that classroom setting, uh, but I, I don't have audio and video teaching through the entire Bible. Uh, so we are filling in some of those gaps with what we've done uh, in my studio home. So most recently, I've added the book of Titus, and now just in this last week, the book of James up on the Enduring Word website with audio and video. The video is also on the YouTube channel uh, throughout the entire New Testament, and we're going to add whatever we can from the Old Testament, too, uh, in the audio and video. Of course, there's text commentary, uh, written commentary on the entire Bible. You find that at EnduringWord.com. And one of the things I've been busy with is making some corrections. You know, I don't know if it would surprise you or not, but I get a lot of emails from people saying, hey, you made this mistake here, that mistake there. And uh, sometimes people aren't right in what they're saying. But listen, a lot of times the people, when they say there's some correction to be made, uh, they go, you're right, I missed that, or I got that mixed up. Thanks for the, the illumination. And so I've been making corrections on the commentary. But then as well, what I've been doing is working on a new Colossians translation in Mandarin. We've got it back from the translators. I'm working on getting it up on the website. I could really use some help with uh, WordPress web design in Mandarin. Again, don't bother. I need somebody who knows Mandarin and who can write it. Simplified Mandarin, uh, the one that's commonly spoken in uh, modern China today. So uh, that's been keeping as well. In this last week, we posted a not only the series of James, uh, where I teach verse by verse through the book of James. All those videos are up on the YouTube channel. But then also, um, I've begun to post a 20-part lecture series through church history. That was done uh, about 10 years ago. You'll notice if you want to compare a 10-year picture, people are doing 10-year pictures right now on Facebook and such. Uh, I'm not going to post that, but if you want to see what I look like 10 years ago, look at those videos uh, that I'm posting now in church history. Done about 10 years ago, right here at this same conference facility in Austria. 
And uh, it was a 20-part lecture. The audio on that series isn't great, but it's good enough. The video is just one camera. But I think what makes it really good is that we uh, inserted the lecture graphics, the PowerPoint slides, into the lecture itself. And so I think that's a big plus in the presentation of it all. So I think that'll be a benefit to a few people. You want to check those out. I'm releasing those three a week. I think my release dates are Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. I release a new one of those videos. Uh, normally, my pattern isn't just to flood with new videos, but just send them out piece by piece. People have enough to look at. They have enough to do uh, without me trying to flood stuff. Uh, I want to take a question here that came in via email, or actually a comment on one of the YouTube videos. Rebecca asks this, she goes, regarding Jesus's birth, was there a register of when Zechariah was in the temple doing his service? Because if there was, it would make sense that Jesus would have been born about three months from that time. Well, that's an interesting point, Rebecca. Uh, there was a register of temple service and a rotation of temple service. Here's the thing. I haven't seen any reliable calendar of it. If it's out there, I don't know about it. Um, maybe some of our viewers or listeners can comment on that on the uh, YouTube channel. Uh, but if it's out there, I don't know about it. I don't think there's anything there definite enough. But you're thinking along the proper lines. There was something of a calendar with a register, and the Gospel of Luke makes reference to that about Zechariah's time for service being at a certain time and place. And so uh, if we did have that and if we did know those dates, we'd be able to tell something more approximate about the month or whatever that Jesus was born. But we don't have that. And so it's all just a little bit of guesswork. Uh, again, if you didn't hear me around Christmas time talk about it, uh, I, just to give it to you very short, um, there's nothing in the Bible that says Jesus was born on December 25th. But... There's nothing concrete that tells us that it was any other day. So if we want to celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus on December 25th, it's fine. Or if on the Orthodox calendar, what is it, January 8th or something like that. Uh, the, the bottom line is just simply this, is that there's nothing that says he was, there's nothing that says he wasn't. So if we want to pick a day, that's fine. Uh, let me look at some of the comments coming in here. Again, a witness for Jesus. Thank you for your congratulations on completing the New Testament audio commentary. Well, I, I was happy to do that. And I, I, I kind of like the uh, the format of me just sitting in the studio and teaching. I don't know if you guys have ever heard on the uh, radio, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, a great Bible teacher of a generation ago who's gone on to be with the Lord, but his ministry still exists, being broadcast on thousands of radio stations in many different languages all over the world, not to mention whoever uses it online. Uh, I mean, this is this is an incredibly impactful ministry through the Bible radio with J. Vernon McGee. And I guess when I uh, sit in my little humble home studio and do a little verse by verse teaching in front of a microphone just to a room in a little studio, um, I guess I'm channeling J. Vernon McGee just a little bit. Um, just saying, well, he did it. I can do it, too. So uh, we'll keep posting some of those. And uh, I don't know exactly which book I'm going to do next. Uh, maybe the book of Genesis, because believe it or not, even though I've talked through Genesis many times, I don't have a good audio or video set on it. Uh, but then the other thing, too, is to consider that uh, I, I'm going to be doing some special topics in teaching through those. So we'll see. First, I got to get back home from this trip. Uh, let me keep going to the questions here. Witness for Jesus. 
My question is on James 1, 27. It is often said that Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship. So what is the pure and undefiled religion? Well, um, a witness for Jesus is making a reference to James 1.27, where it says, I, is it 1.27? I guess it is. James 1.27 that tells us that pure and undefiled religion in the eyes of God is to visit widows and orphans in their distress. I'm paraphrasing that uh, phrase there. Looking up real quick here on my Bible program. Um, yes, here it is, James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Uh, witness of Jesus asking a very logical question here. We often say, it's just kind of almost a cliche in the modern evangelical world, that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Let, let me just say that there's a lot of things we say as preachers. There's a lot of things we say just in normal daily conversation that if you were to really drill down uh, theologically, it's not true. Listen, Christianity is a religion. It's a religion. Uh, even on fire, relationship-based, loving Jesus, uh, born again, even spirit-filled Christianity— it's a religion. Now, what we're really trying to say, and this is sort of the shorthand that we're getting around, what we're really trying to say when we say that Christianity is not a religion is we're trying to say that it's not just a religion. It's not just a matter of traditions and ceremonies and rule keeping and hierarchies, those things that people normally associate with just religion. What we're trying to say is that Christianity is much more than that. It is a relationship with the living God. Now, again, I say sometimes we preachers were the worst. We speak in theological shorthand. Uh, we we kind of cut corners with things. We say things that are kind of cliches, and they're actually not true. But at least the intent behind the statement is true. And we should all do a little bit better to speak better about that. So James chapter 1, verse 27 shows the religion that he's speaking of is Christianity. It's true religion. So Christianity is a religion, but here's the point people are trying to make when they say it's not a religion. It's not only a religion. It, it is traditions. There's tradition in Christianity. There, there is something of a hierarchy, something of leadership. There, there, there are rituals in Christianity. If you want to call baptism, if you want to call the Lord's Supper a ritual, those things are rituals. But here's the thing. It's not only those things. It is a relationship with the living God. So that's... That's a great question there. Uh, next, Oakley fan. Uh, Ten years ago, weren't you in Germany at the time? Yes, I was in Germany at that time. That's when I came from our Bible college in Germany, and I came down with a good friend of mine, Andrew Rand. Andrew Rand, who is now uh, serving the Lord and serving a congregation as a youth pastor in Prescott, Arizona. Uh, Andrew Rand came with me to this conference facility that they call the castle here because it's not an actual real castle, but it's structurally made like a castle. And uh, it's a beautiful facility right here on the edge of an alpine lake. And uh, I taught for a week what we call a block class. And so in, the, in that week, I delivered 20 approximately hour long lectures uh, to give a brief course of church history. And yeah, that's right. I was living in Germany at the time. Joel, 
the question is this. Hi, been listening to your verse-by-verse study of Romans, a real blessing and challenging book. That's absolutely true. What book in the Bible has had the most influence on your life? So that's a great question. What book of the Bible has had the most influence on my life? And, um, you know, it's hard to say. Uh, I, I'm just going to give you the answer that I give to a lot of people. The book of the Bible that's had the most impact on my life is the one that I'm into at the time. If I'm teaching through a book, if I'm into a book, man, that's the one that seems to have had the most impact on my life. So I don't think I can boil it down. Um, I've had some very, you know, special experiences teaching through some particular books, but I feel like almost every book that I teach through, it's some kind of wonderful experience with the Lord, not just in the ability to talk about that book to other people, but in my own time of study, of discipline, of just drawing near to God in the midst of it. So what's my favorite book of the Bible? It's whatever it is I'm studying at the time. I just find myself. I'm, I'm in love with God, and since God reveals himself so beautifully in his word, uh, I love his word. Um, now, I, I don't love God's word as a substitute for God, no. I love it because it, it, it comes from God and it reveals God to me. All right, next, um, Jared. Hey, David, we really enjoyed your James series. Me and a group of friends go street listening tonight. What does the Bible say about that? And do you have any advice? Well, Jared, I think that street witnessing is a fine thing to do. Uh, I I would say this, you you know, whenever we're doing any kind of ministry, and this is kind of a good rule for just about anything in life. uh, The the first rule is what uh, the physicians under the old Hippocratic oath, doctors would take this oath. And the first thing they would say is, first, I'll do no harm. And, and, and that's what you want to do when you're street witnessing or, or really anything. like you want to, First, I don't want to do any harm. E- even if my work ends up being a great big zero, if it's giving no harm, then at least I didn't do bad. And, and so you just want to make sure that you go into it with a heart full of love, full of winsome engagement, uh, one that's not afraid to confront sin or take on an argument or even a debate, because sometimes these things happen out on the streets. I'm well familiar with that. Uh, But you want to do it in a way that, um, again, is a positive reflection of God and his nature. If you want people to think that God is really mad at them, then that's what you're going to project. If you want to make people think that God loves them and that that God cares for them, but but God wants to get some things straight in their life, uh, that's going to reflect it well. So, no, I I mean, God bless you for your work of street witnessing. I think that's a thing that uh, any Christian who just feels called to do so should do it. Um, as far as we, look, Jesus told us to go out and preach the gospel. We, we shouldn't think that we're only preaching the gospel if we're doing it in sort of a street witnessing way. But certainly that is a good, a wonderful and a valid way for us to be preaching the gospel. So God bless you on that, Jared. I, I pray God really blesses your time out there in the streets. And most of us, I pray that God would bring you divine appointments. You know, I always think about that when we're doing that kind of evangelism, street witnessing, that God is moving in the hearts of some people. There are people who probably have an incredible backstory and and we kind of have a way of thinking that when we meet them on the street and talk with them, that we're just sort of the initial contact. Um, Listen, it's wonderful to think that we could be the end of a long chain of what God has been doing in their life to lead them to a point 
where somebody would bring them the good news and help them to find an answer in Jesus. So, um, yeah, that's what I do. And, and just remember when you talk to people about the gospel, don't present Jesus as just a way to improve your life. Present him as a loving Lord, Savior that we need to submit our lives to. Anyway, God bless you on that, Jared. Uh, Lucia, we're in the same time zone. Yes, we're blessed to have you. Well, uh, Lucia, I believe you're in Italy, aren't you? Or Spain, uh, one of those. The, uh, I'm glad you're, it's great to be over here in Europe. I have many dear friends and colleagues and ministry friends and brothers and sisters. I, I love coming over here whenever I can. Um, Lucia, uh, by the way, are you coming to Spain this year? I don't plan on coming to Spain. Uh, I don't know. I'd just have to, I'd have to get the right invitation and it would just have to work out in my schedule. Spain's a place where I really love to spend some more time uh, because even though I have been there several times, uh, I don't feel like I've been there enough. And um, I know God wants to move among the Spanish people. Uh, let me go on. Uh, okay, fan, greetings from Zegan. Bless you with that. Uh, Daniel, uh, hello, David. I'm from Living Way. Uh, you're my hero. Uh, your commentary is such a blessing to me. My question is, can you speak on replacement theology? Well, Daniel, you're asking me to say something about replacement theology. And the first thing I'd like to say about replacement theology is most of the people who believe in what we would call replacement theology, they don't want to call it replacement theology at all. Because in their mind, or at least this is the way that um, that idea is being expressed in a different way by many people today. They're not saying that the church replaces Israel. What they're saying is that Jesus replaces Israel. Well, um, I, I think that's a little bit of sleight of hand, uh, rhetorically, with words. You're, you're kind of moving the balls under the cup. You're moving the cup around with the ball. Be, because the, the idea isn't that Israel and the church, or excuse me, that Israel and Jesus are the same. The idea is that Israel and the church are equivalent. And, and what we have to understand is this. There is a continuity of the people of God throughout all generations that have ever existed. There is that concept. And, and we don't want to make too much of a difference between the church and Israel and act like there is no difference between the two. But on the other hand, there is indeed a clear distinction between the church. And I think the Bible teaches that very clearly. And when we lose that distinction, when we think that there's nothing terribly new about the new covenant, that the new covenant is just the Abrahamic covenant 2.0, uh, when we think that, and again, that, that um, God is forever finished with Israel in his redemptive plan, uh, that he has cast off Israel, so to speak, in, in any special role in his redemptive plan, I think that these are unbiblical assertions. And so replacement theology has been a problem. I think it has been a problem because all the anti-Semites, all the, I'll use the more honest term, all the Jew haters among Christians 
have believed in replacement theology. Now, please note this. I am not saying, one more time, I am not saying that all replacement theology people or whatever title they want to give to replacement theology. I am not saying that all replacement theology people are anti-Semitic. No way. That's not true. That would be a false statement. But I am saying this. The terrible tradition of Jew hatred in the church, in the institutional church, has been fed like gasoline on a fire from the basic ideas of replacement theology. So I'm not trying to blame replacement theology people for that, but I think we have to admit that it's true, that there is some, you know, idea there. But uh, it's just not biblical, and it doesn't understand what God has done in the past, what God is doing in the present, and what God is doing in the future. Uh, So good question there, Daniel. Derek, praying for you in England on your trip. Till you return, we'll serve the Lord in your return, Santa Barbara. See you then. Hey, Derek, God bless you. Um, yeah, we look forward to coming back and uh, glad we could get away for this and with other other ministry opportunities God gives us, but we're glad to be on this. Um, witness for Jesus. In context, James 4.8 refers to black backsliding Christians as sinners. Okay, I believe you're correct. Let me take a look at that. I just don't want to speak out of turn. James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Yes, the general context there is that James is speaking to people in the church. That's correct. So that's a uh, that's a good question there, uh, witness for Jesus. Um, it is referring to backslidden Christians or, or just Christians dealing with sin problems. Look, this is always a difficult thing in the Christian life, is it not? Every Christian sins. Do you remember what it says in 1 John? If we say we have no sin, we lie and do not tell the truth. Every Christian on this earth sins. There is a day of sinless perfection for believers, and that's in the resurrection. And it can't come soon enough for me. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you are as well. Until then, every Christian is going to have to deal with sin and struggle with compromise from time to time and in some form or another. Now, we don't say that to be fatalistic about it, to say, well, then it's no big deal if I sin, you sin your sin, I sin my sin. What's the big deal? No, that's not our attitude at all. Uh, But we do very much decidedly understand that um, there's going to be a continual process uh, until we pass from this life to the next. Okay, continuing on, Sean, Pastor David, teach one more time at Calvary Chapel, Ontario. Pray for me once more, and I won't bother you again. Well, Sean, you're not bothering me. Let me pray for you real quickly, Sean. I, I hope the last one went well. Um, respond to me in the chat window. Let me know if it was recorded, and maybe I can look that up if I have an opportunity. Uh, Father in heaven, I pray for Sean. I pray for our brother. I pray that you give him grace. I pray that you give him wisdom. I pray that you give him the right words in his preparation and in his delivery as he teaches the good people at Calvary Chapel, Ontario. Bless our brother Sean, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Isaac, do you speak on political standpoints? If so, where do you stand on immigration laws, especially with the sensitive topic of the wall? How do I view politics with Jesus's eyes, if that makes sense? Well, look, Isaac, I think it's fine. I think it's good. I think 
I think it's something I and many other pastors don't do enough. Speak on principle about uh, issues of the day. And, and so I, I think that we just understand that uh, the Bible gives principles, principles for the people of God and principles for the civil government. And I don't think we should confuse the two. I don't think we should expect the government to be the agent of the kingdom of God. Now, I believe we should desire that government be influenced by kingdom people and kingdom principles, but I don't see that there's an exact correlation. Let me put it to you this way. Um, As Christians, we are to love and show compassion. And when we see immigrants coming in legally or illegally, what we as a community of believers see is ministry need and ministry opportunity. And we want to love them and we want to bless them and we want to preach the gospel to them and we want to minister to them in Jesus name. Government has different priorities. Remember what it says in Romans chapter 13. Uh, I'm going to turn to that passage just so that I can read it here. Romans chapter 13, because I think it's very important for us to understand that government shouldn't necessarily have the same priorities as the church or the people of God. Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be uh, unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Listen, a big part of the function of government, as revealed in Romans chapter 13, is to punish evil and to keep order in society. Now, of course, it needs to be done with justice. And, and wherever justice isn't carried out, uh, it's, it's okay, it's good for us to speak out against it and for want it to be done better. But look, Keeping the laws, enforcing the laws, that is a valid, godly function of government. So much so that uh, the Apostle Paul says that he's God's minister to do it. So if there are laws in the United States relevant to border security, God bless the border enforcement agents there at the border. They're doing what they should do. They are God's ministers. Now, I myself as a Christian might have a different, the the, uh, border patrol person, they may say, okay, we need to incarcerate this person. We need to deport them. I may say, I need to preach to them. I need to love them in Jesus' name. So I need to do what I need to do properly. The civil government needs to do what they should do properly. And um, I, I think that's kind of I don't expect the government to do my job, and I sure hope the government doesn't want me to do their job um, unless I'm working for the government. So that's kind of the idea there. Okay, uh, what else do we have here? Um, Bless you, dear man. 
No matter how you're feeling, you're always here for us. Well, great. I'm feeling pretty good right now. I hope you guys can hear me okay. I realize that I'm wearing a microphone, but it's not even plugged in, but I trust that it's getting out okay just on the regular mic. Um, Anthony, hey, it's nice to hear from you, Anthony. I know nobody cares, but I ask because I believe that that's the church started. Yeah, praise the Lord. I, I don't know if you're talking about the book of Acts starting and beginning there, uh, the church, but amen. Amen. Ruth, all is well with baby James. Thanks for praying. Come home safe. Yes, Ruth. I'm so happy to hear that. Ruth is referring, referring to a prayer request that she asked me to pray about. So happy to hear about baby James. Praise the Lord. And I look forward to coming home safely. Um, Zaster, can you comment on Solomon at the end of his life regards to his being led astray? Wow. Wow. Zaster, you're asking a good question and you're asking a tough question. Let me explain to you why this is a tough question. This is a tough question because we don't find really any biblical evidence that Solomon repented. Now, it's kind of complicated here. There's nothing in the Bible that says that Solomon repented. The end of Solomon's life, I think it's somewhere about 1 Kings 17 or 18, something like that. It's bleak. The, the, the last scenes we have of Solomon is him being led astray. It does not look good. Now, I believe we will see Solomon in heaven. Why? Because the covenant that God made with David included the idea that he would not take away his mercies from his son. Now, this in particular had to do with the greater son of David. All those promises were ultimately and perfectly fulfilled in Jesus himself. Yet we see a immediate and a partial fulfillment in Solomon. I, I believe that Solomon will be in heaven, but, but I, I think the Bible doesn't want us really to have that feeling camped out in our heart. So deliberately, I think as a warning, God doesn't give to us any evidence of Solomon's repentance. Now, there are people who believe that Ecclesiastes was written after Solomon repented, and it's sort of his explanation of repentance. Let me just say a great big, that's possible. It's possible that that's the case. Is it certain? No, it's not certain, but it's possible. I just don't see strong biblical evidence that Solomon repented of his terrible idolatry that he allowed himself to be led into by his pagan wives. Anyway, great question. Um, Sean, also remember to hit the thumbs up button. God bless everyone. Thanks, Sean, for reminding me to remind everybody about that thumbs up button. Again, I don't feel like you have to do it for my own sense of self-worth, but apparently every, and look, I don't kid myself. I, I'm a little small fish in this YouTube world. I'm astounded when I go around to other YouTube channels and subscribe and see the, the tens, hundreds of thousands that they have. And we have our few. But um, listen, I'm very pleased to be able to do this for you. And it does help if you hit the like button. So thank you for doing that. Cody, thank you for your answer to 15 points on the attack of the complementarian view from 1 Timothy 2. I stole the entire thing and I presented it this past Sunday. So good. Yeah, Cody. Um, well, you're welcome. Number one, he's referring to a message I did on 1 Timothy chapter 2 with the whole issue of a women, woman's place and women in general, uh, their place in 
authoritative teaching roles in the church. And I just want you to know, I take a pretty conservative view on that. And um, I explained why in that message there in First Timothy chapter two. So uh, if you're interested in that, look up that, that video on the Enduring Word website or on the YouTube channel. I think you benefit from it, but I did. There, there's so many um, efforts to discredit this long held view that I thought it important to give at least a very brief answer to, like I said, about 15 of them. Um, anyway, thank you, Cody. Uh, Ruth, I can hear you great. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. Wonderful. Because you want to know what a doof I am sometimes. You know, here I am getting all set up, and then I got up and moved around a few lights, and then I took this, this, this uh, microphone that I have right here on me, and uh, because I got up to move around something, I... Uh, unplugged it from my computer, and then I didn't plug it back in again. You see, you get me out of my home environment where I got everything set up, and it's easy to make mistakes. But it doesn't really matter. All that matters is that you guys can hear me okay. And then uh, a witness to Jesus, I always said that Solomon was saved because God used him to write scriptures. God only uses holy men to write his holy word. Now, uh, that's an argument I haven't heard before. And uh, I'm going to have to think about that one. Uh, maybe that's another argument, but I'll tell you this. I just do believe that God deliberately left the historical account of Solomon to be very bleak. Like I said, I think you're going to see Solomon in heaven. But I think God deliberately left the historical account very bleak as a warning. Listen, if the wisest man of his time, I won't say the wisest man who ever lived. I'll say if the wisest man on the earth in his day. If he could be led astray by his passions and by such things, then what warning do we have that we must be very steadfast in following the Lord ourselves? All right. Well, that's it that we have right now in the chat window. Now, I do have to say, unfortunately, it's the kind of announcement that I don't like to make. But next Thursday, we will not have our regularly scheduled YouTube live session I'm going to be speaking that evening right about this time as part of our conference. I need to give my attention to that. So we will not be doing, but the Thursday following, so two weeks from today, we'll be back at the live. If I am able, if I have the time, you can send me questions by email, in the YouTube comments, in whatever. Send me questions, and maybe I can pre-record a question and answer session and send it in, and just have it posted about that time. But I'll only do that if you guys send in questions and if I feel like I have enough material. I'd like to do that pre-recorded and put it up, but you do your part and I'll do my part, uh, but I won't be able to do it live next Thursday, which I guess is going to be January 24th. But again, I'm glad you could join me today. And um, Cody, I'm going to get to your question next time because it's a great question. I'm going to wrap it up right here. God bless you. Thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for everybody who prays for the work of Enduring Word, our work of translation, our work of putting up all the video content, the work of writing, uh, the work that Ruth is doing with that devotional. Uh, God bless Keep that all up in prayer. And thanks so much for joining us here on today's live stream. You've been listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry and how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, please visit EnduringWord.com.